0: Well, welcome church. Um, Many of you know who I am, but in case you don't, I'm Rob Tudball, a member here at the church and uh, filling in as preacher when the uh, pastors are away, and they're up in New Brunswick at the Maritime Christian Fellowship this weekend. Most of us at some point in our lives have been faced with a question, I have good news and I have bad news, which would you like to hear First. Well, I have good news and bad news for all of you here today, and I wonder which you would prefer to hear first. And many studies have shown that when faced with the question of bad news and good news, four to five people prefer to hear the bad news first, and I guess that's mainly because they want to be left with a sense of hope when they're faced with potentially life-altering and devastating news. So, I will tell you the bad news first. And let me begin with Paul's words in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come after god had finished creating the earth and all the living things upon the earth he created man in his likeness pure and holy and likewise he created woman to be a suitable companion and helper for man man and woman had perfect communion with one another and god in paradise that was until that ill-fated day when eve's desire to be like God, was greater than her desire to be with God. And Adam's desire to please Eve was greater than his desire to please God. And so they both gave in to temptation, disobeyed God, and fell into sin. And God, being perfect and just, had to punish man for his disobedience. So God placed a curse upon man, which was death, and exiled Adam and Eve from paradise, for their transgressions, Because of their sin, they and all who came from them were to live out the rest of their days toiling upon the land, estranged to God, and inevitably die. Through the sin of Adam, all of creation had been corrupted. Everyone born of man has a sin nature, is a slave to sin, and is hostile toward God. There is nothing that man could do to change his condition to save himself from the certainty of death. And so over time, man continued to pursue the evil desires of his heart and delighted in his wickedness. So God decided that the only way to purge the world of this this great wickedness of man was to send a great flood to kill every living thing upon the earth. However, God found favor in a faithful, obedient servant of the Lord called Noah, So he and his family were spared from the flood, along with the male and female of all of the animals. And once the waters receded and man once stood stood upon dry land, it did not take him long to start sinning once again. No matter how many times the people repented and turned back toward God, they always gave into their sin nature and became slaves to sin once again and turned their backs to God. It seemed as though there was no cure for man's sin, nature, and death. They were powerless in their own strength to overcome it. Surely the holy God of all creation would not let his crowning glory utterly perish, would he? Of course not. Even even after God, through miraculous wonders and power from on high, freed the people from slavery in Egypt, parted the Red Sea, and destroyed the, the armies of Pharaoh, and promised to lead his people to a land flowing in milk and honey, the people continued to sin and rebel against God. So God gave his law and his commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai to instruct the people in righteousness to keep them from sinning. After Moses delivered God's decrees to the people, they were all in one accord and they said, We will do everything that the Lord has said we will obey. So God called Moses back up on the mountain he spoke with them for 40 days and 40 nights. Meanwhile, the Israelites in the encampment at the base of the mountain were growing impatient. They had lost faith in Moses and figured that he had died, and decided to take matters into their own hands. God revealed to Moses what was happening amongst the people, and he wanted to pour out his wrath upon them and destroy them for disobedience to his word. Moses pleaded with God not to strike down the people, and that he promised God that he would take care of it. So Moses came down from the mountain, and what did he find? Sure enough, Aaron, Moses' own brother, had sculpted an idol out of gold, a golden calf for the people to worship. And if that wasn't enough, he had also made an altar for them to sacrifice and worship at. Now, I don't know if any of you know the details of the story in Exodus 32, but there's a funny moment in here when Moses comes down and basically sees what God had described to him was going on. He had left Aaron in charge of the Israelites, and we're talking potentially millions of people, to govern over them and to keep them in line until he returned. So at the first sign of pressure, what happens? Aaron says, okay, give me your gold. I'll fashion an idol for you to worship at. So anyways, Moses comes down, and he's like, what's going on? Like, what's up? I left you in charge, and now the people are dancing around, reveling. They're sacrificing on, at golden calves and idols. And Aaron just looked at Moses and said, Hey, I don't know what happened. They just gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire, and pop, out came a calf. I can't even imagine the look on Moses' face at that moment. What followed that was a little grisly, and I think after that Aaron had no problem following Moses' instructions. Um, the people had only had the law of God for about two months at this point, and had already broken the first three laws: You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. And the trifecta, you shall not take the Lord of the name, or You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And over the course of the next 40 years, wandering around in the desert, the Israelites would get around to breaking the rest of the commands. So year after year, decade after decade, century after century, man continued to sin against God, building up more and more of God's wrath. The people, in accordance with God's laws, were constantly making sacrifices and offerings as penance for their personal sins, And once a year God allowed the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant lay and make a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of all of the people for the past year. And God, who is great in mercy, allowed the blood of the sacrifice to cover the sins of the people for another year and thereby they were spared the penalty for sin, which was death. And so it went for about 1500 years. The people kept sinning and rebelling against God, and because God is loving and merciful and slow to anger, he tolerated man's disobedience. But God was watching and waiting patiently. He even sent sent his people special messengers called prophets who told the people repeatedly to stop sinning, repent, and trust God. These prophets also revealed to the people God's plan to free them and us from the curse of sin and death. So what did they do with these special messengers who came in the name of the Lord? They killed them, naturally. How dare they make the people feel guilty about their sin and tell them what they must do and how they must live to please God. And so it goes. Mankind continued to live as slaves to sin under the curse of sin and death, separated from our holy creator, living in a corrupt world, condemned and awaiting the judgment of God and eternity in hell. All because of one man's unrighteous act of disobedience toward God. Well, there it is. That's the bad news. Today, there are many among you who would say that if God truly loves us and cares about us, and he is full of mercy and grace, surely he would not destroy us in the fires of hell because we're not perfect and we continue to sin. You're absolutely right. God does love us. And his law points out, points to the sin of our lives and emphatically demonstrates that we are enemies of God. But God, in spite of all of our evil desires, longs to reconcile us to himself, to bring us back from our exile from Eden, and to commune with us once again in paradise. One thing stands in the way. The curse of sin and death. God is just. And the penalty for our sin, which is death, must be paid for before we can be reconciled to him. And so, just as sin entered the world through the unrighteous act of disobedience of one man, so too will the world be saved through the righteous act of obedience of one man. So now it's time to tell you the really good news. And let us take a look at Paul's words As he finishes his thought in Romans 5, picking up at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more will have the grace of God and the free gift of that grace, of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass, death reigns through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so the act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So one act of righteousness leads... Oh, sorry. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners... So by one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. It would be uncommon in this day and age for most people never to have heard the name Jesus or the Christ. If you were already a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus, that's awesome. But if, um, I just hope that you find encouragement in the words that I bring you here today. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope that you find faith in the words that I bring you here today. The good news of the gospel of Christ. There was a time of silence from the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament of about four to 500 years from Malachi to uh, the Synoptic Gospels and the birth of Christ. Nobody had received revelation or a word from the Lord in all this time until that one day in a tiny village in Nazareth in Galilee. Here we see a young teenage girl named Mary going about her daily routine, completely unaware that her life, and in fact the lives of all mankind, were going to be changed forever. Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, had come to Mary and announced that she, an unmarried virgin, was going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. She was going to name the child Jesus And the angel told her that the child born would be called Holy, the Son of God. One of the many names that the Bible uses to describe Jesus, the coming Messiah, was spoke by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years earlier. He said that that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this teenage virgin was not only just going to give birth to the Son of God, but he, in fact, was God in the flesh. Oh, no pressure. Um, just to be the icing on the cake, she finds out that her cousin Elizabeth is very pregnant and goes to visit her to help her. And while she's there, she witnessed the miracle of Elizabeth's pregnancy because Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years. She also witnessed Zachariah speak for the first time in, for several months. The Lord had silenced his tongue until the birth of their son, John. So what does Mary hear Zechariah say? That her cousin's boy will be a prophet of the Most High God to announce the coming of the Son of Man, the Messiah, that is now growing in Mary. Furthermore, Mary's child, Jesus, the Son of God, will forgive sins and save the people from the curse of sin and death. Best news ever. We just learned... Adam, we had just learned that through Adam sin entered the world and everyone born of man has a sin nature. We are all sinners and we stand under the judgment of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But still many people believe that as long as they try to be a good person, live good lives, that God will forgive their transgressions and they will go to heaven. However, The Bible states that we are all condemned. Romans 3.10 says, For none is righteous, not even one. So after the great flood, God promised Noah that he would no longer curse the ground because of man. And he would never again strike down every living thing upon the earth by a flood. So just as Noah, through obedience to God, was used to save the human race from destruction, So, too, Jesus, through obedience to the Father, would save mankind from certain destruction from sin and death and would provide the way for mankind to be reconciled to God, to be freed from the power of guilt and sin, and have eternal life. So, if the penalty for sin is death, and God wants to save us, how can we possibly pay the penalty for our sins that God's perfect justice requires? And the answer is quite simple. We can't. God created Adam in his likeness from the dust of the earth, perfect and sinless, to commune with God in paradise. Jesus was created perfect and sinless, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin named Mary, for the purpose of providing the way for mankind to be reconciled to God, so that we may commune with God for all eternity in paradise, in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was the only perfect man. He was fully God, and he was fully man. He became like man in every way, including our sin nature, but he did not sin, even though he was tempted in every way. As such, he was uniquely qualified to put into action God's plan of salvation for mankind. Jesus grew up and lived a sinless life, and when time was right, Jesus, in obedience to his Father's will, came to the river Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, Elizabeth's son. Jesus explained to John that he he was to baptize him and that it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So through that act of obedience, Jesus became the righteousness of God. And as Jesus rose up out of the water, the Spirit of God came down and sat upon him like a dove. And the voice of God declared, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. So both God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit testified to the fact that Jesus was the chosen one of God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. So right after the baptism, Jesus was taken into the wilderness where he was tempted, like Adam, by Satan. But this time Satan would not tempt man by twisting the word of God because Jesus is the word of God and he knows and obeys the will of the Father. And so Jesus went about the land preaching and repentance and telling the people about the kingdom of God, excuse me, the kingdom of God. Jesus taught and preached the good news of the coming kingdom of God and how He and He alone was the only way to the Father. Jesus performed many miracles uh, and, and wonders among the people so that they might see and believe that He was the chosen one sent from God, repent of their sins and trust and follow God. Just as God used Moses to lead his people out of the land of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, God would use Jesus to lead his people out of the land of slavery to sin and into, a, into the kingdom of God, restored and forgiven and reconciled to the Creator. And so it went after 1,500 years of the people of God failing to keep God's commands after countless sacrifices for the sins of the people, and after repeatedly repenting and falling away from God, God set out to save and reconcile the world to himself through his one and only begotten son, Jesus, for all the whom he loved and was well pleased. So, how exactly was God going to accomplish this amazing plan? Simple. He was going to sacrifice his only begotten son by crucifying him on a cross and his blood would be the final perfect offering for the atonement and forgiveness of sins for all the people for all time. Wow, I know it sounds pretty harsh. God sending his only son into the world to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and and forgiveness of sin, only to be eventually arrested and sentenced to death on a cross by the very people that he came to save, And that they had seen all the amazing signs and wonders that he had performed. It was not harsh at all. In fact, it was the most amazing, astonishing act of God's love that the world has ever seen. God's perfect law made us aware of our sinfulness. And no matter how hard we tried, and no matter how many sacrifices we offered to God, we could never be freed from the curse of sin. God's perfect justice required that the penalty for sin be paid. And Jesus being perfect and sinless was the only one who could pay the penalty for sin by willingly sacrificing himself upon the cross and becoming a curse for us and taking upon himself the sins of all mankind for all time. So what do you think? That's pretty good news, right? Jesus paid the penalty for my sins so that I might be reconciled to God, so that I am no longer considered an enemy of God, and my debt has been paid in full through the blood of Jesus? You bet it is. But there's more. After Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, and a Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear to make sure that he was dead, they took him down from the cross and placed his body in a tomb. And three days later, early in the morning when the followers went to the tomb, They found a large rock rolled away from the the entrance, and the tomb was empty. An angel explained that Jesus had risen from the grave and was resurrected just as he said he would be. Jesus didn't just free us from the curse of sin. He had also freed us from the curse of death. Why is this good news for us? Because Jesus' death and resurrection, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on a cross and he was resurrected and rose from the dead three days later, repents and is baptized into Christ, shall be reconciled to God and have eternal life. Regarding those who are baptized into Christ, the Apostle Paul has this to say. For if we be united with him in a death like his, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. We did nothing to deserve this amazing act of grace from God. And in fact, God loves us so much that while we were sinners, Christ died for us so that we would believe in him, and we would not die, but have everlasting life. This is not good news. This is awesome, amazing news. If you are sitting here today, and you have not yet confessed that Jesus is the Christ, I want you to know that God loves you more than you could ever hope or imagine. And he delights it when we turn away from the lies of Satan and acknowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Romans ten nine and 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with your mouth you, one confesses and is saved. So please, dear friends, If you have not made that decision yet, I urge you to humble yourself before God and believe in your heart the truth of the gospel and make that decision today and let us rejoice in the good news together. God bless.